that the world you see when you're inside a car looking out the windshield is not the world you see when you're outside. And I began to get more interested in um, non-motorized accident uh, transportation as a social justice issue. It's our Strong Towns membership drive. To become a member of Strong Towns, go to strongtowns.org and sign up today. Hans Neldner, welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. It's great to uh, be able to chat with you today. Good morning, Chuck. Likewise, and I always enjoy speaking with you. I want to ask you how the weather is there in Wisconsin. Uh, we had the six inches of snow earlier this week and a little bit of the Arctic chill now. You get in a little bit of that? A little bit. We don't have much snow yet, um, just a dusting basically, but it got down to like uh, 16 or thereabouts last night. Yeah, toughen some people up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> getting, getting rid of the riffraff. That's right. Hey, um, one of the interesting things about Strong Towns is how over the years we've come to uh, collect, as, as Mayor McGinn said in a chat I had with him yesterday, you know, a, a, a little bit of a band of misfits. We're not an organization of engineers and architects, uh, but really people from all walks of life. And, and you have to be one of the more colorful characters of that band of misfits. I, I wonder if you'd be willing to tell people kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, what, what's your, what's your background and who's, who's Hans Neldner? Okay. Uh, yeah. In a past life, I was a mechanical engineer. I designed uh, first uh, medical instruments and then scientific instruments. Uh, more recently, I've been a pedestrian bicycle transit advocate, not full-time, but like half to three-quarters time. Um, I had served on uh, the Village of Oregon board um, a while ago, uh, which was a two-year term, and that was a tremendous learning experience. That really was my introduction to getting involved in government. Um, so this past fall, I've been pretty heavily involved with uh, with the transportation reform campaign here in Wisconsin, working through the Sierra Club. Um, we formed a clean transportation committee going on two years ago, and uh, I found that to be a, a really excellent um, venue for, for uh, channeling my, uh, my efforts. Now, Wisconsin, you don't have a lot of transportation issues going on there, right? Um. <laughs> I assume <laughs> I assume you have your tongue firmly in there, Chuck. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Yeah, we got you a, guys are a huge discrepancy between revenues and expenditures. Yeah, I, I've seen some of the highway things, particularly the the big, uh, huge thing they're doing outside of Milwaukee now. Uh, and you, you've got it's interesting because you're a little bit in the spotlight because your governor has been talked about in terms of presidential, you know, potential presidential material. Yet yep. when it comes to transportation, uh, it's spend, 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 uh, borrow, borrow, borrow. Is that a, is that a fair kind of assessment of the approach? Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, he, he took the uh, uh, Walker and uh, his Republicans in the legislature uh, really did cut spending on, on a lot of different programs. Like it or not, they did it. But uh, they haven't begun to look at transportation spending, right? Particularly, it's specifically on highway expansion projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, Walker, uh, let's see, in the last uh, last legislative session, he basically put nearly a billion dollars on the credit cards. Right, right. For some really, I think the thing that's astounded me, and you sent me some of this stuff, is that uh, the the traffic congestions. I mean, the the, the changes in drive time and all that. 
they're really nominal. I mean, you're spending huge amounts of money and getting very little back on the highway end. Yes. Well, actually, uh, from what I've seen, the Department of Transportation doesn't bother to do return on investment. Right. Very, you know, it's a, a very it's, it's a business one-on-one, but they're not doing it. Right. They justify the projects on safety, or motorists, that is, but uh, they, don't, they don't look at return on investment. Now, I, I, I kind of understand in Wisconsin, you know, why the focus would be on, uh, on automobile only. I mean, it's a, it's a little too cold there to bike, and, you know, winter's kind of harsh. Is that, is that kind of your approach, too? Uh, it's seldom too cold to bike. Uh, again, I'm laughing. Although, although not for everyone. I mean, you know, for a hardy soul, you can you can bike uh, down below zero. I tell you what, I, hang on a sec, because I I gotta I gotta tell this story. The the first time you and I met, I mean, we had we had Facebook back and forth and email back and forth, but the first time that we met in person, uh, I was there in Madison and was giving a, a, a talk, and you were there. And afterwards, we were going to go out and grab a bite to eat. And you got on your bike. This was February. And the temperature at the time was minus 15, I think, it was, was what it was. Oh, uh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, my gosh. It was, Hans. It was way below zero. And you were out there biking. You were all, uh, all bundled up on your bike, the wide tires. Yeah, man. You, uh, you walked the, you walk the tires walk. tires rock. They really work. They really work. <laughs> Well, dispel the myth that uh, biking is only viable in warm weather kind of places. It's 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 a myth. You can bike through a lot of stuff. Uh, it's just a matter of dressing for the weather. Actually, there's a um, what really impresses me has uh, there has been for the past I think four years now a winter bike fashion show that's held in Madison, uh, like in uh, November December where different people get up and basically show how they dress for the winter. Right. And believe you me, there are people that bicycle a lot more than I do in the winter, yeah. including quite a few women. Um, I didn't, I was not able to make the fashion show this past year or this year, but last year, most of the people who were in the fashion show were women. And one woman I think has been bicycling 12 miles through her job each way uh, year round for like 20 years. That's and she it. was fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen some of that in Minneapolis, too. I was at a meeting uh, last last winter, and uh, we got done. And sure enough, I'd say a good 10, 15 percent of the people there went out yeah. and, and uh, totally suited up. Uh, you know, had the had the uh, the goggles and the mask and everything and said, you know, we're going to we're going to go do this. And, yeah, I, I think that there is a huge swath of the cold weather population that's just diving right in and and why not people have you know gotten out in this stuff for centuries why are we uh you know we're hardy minnesotans we're hardy wisconsinites right it's a matter of accommodating to the weather yeah 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 and you know what everybody looks good when they're when they're physically active doing stuff with their bodies there's no doubt about it everybody looks good um talk a little bit about advocacy um, you, you know, you do this now, uh, as like you said, halftime, three quarter time, talk about what kind of motivated you to get involved and why, uh, this is such an important thing for you. Actually, my motives have changed. Yeah. I really got seriously interested in, in bicycling 
10 years ago now, um, what, ha- what happened was I, um, I was asking myself, was the war in Iraq really about oil, right? Right. And then, then it occurred to me I could ask that question in another way. Do I want any war for, to be about oil for me, Hans Melner? Right. And I said, no, I don't want that. So what can I do to basically cut my oil consumption down to the bone as much, you know, as little as possible? Not use none. Pretty hard to not use any, but they, basically to try to use as little as possible. So at that point, I started bicycling further afield. I mean, I'd ridden my bicycle around the village of Oregon. You know, it's it's actually pretty pretty nice place here to get your groceries. Where I live, it's 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 really trivial to get my groceries and go to the library and do a lot of you know around town stuff, hardware store trips with a bike. It's no big deal. Sure. But then I started riding in on the order of 10, 15 miles for meetings and stuff like that, including year-round. The more I got into that, the more I realized I was kind of living in a different world, that the world you see when you're inside a car looking out the windshield is not the world you see when you're outside. And I began to get more interested in um, non-motorized accident, uh, transportation as a social justice issue. Yeah. And... Uh, after a while, it sunk into me that if, like, I was confined to a wheelchair, I would I would not move to the village where I live because it's it's uh, people don't consistently keep their sidewalks clean in the winter, uh, and a lot of times a year the streets are destitute of other human beings. Uh, most people are in cars, and it feels very alien. Anyway, um, I got involved uh, ten years ago. I got involved in a project to do a study on bringing commuter bus service to Oregon were about 12 miles from downtown Madison and so I worked on that then I got involved in um, promotion of a regional transit authority which is a funding mechanism for coming up with some money to fund transit we managed to actually get that passed but then it was killed in the legislature and uh, then more recently I shifted to state level stuff what would you say to someone who really cares about this stuff and and wants to get involved, but feels intimidated by the process or the learning curve or, uh, you know, the fact that other people that they may not necessarily agree with are maybe seen as better connected or more eloquent or uh, more powerful or influential. What, what would you say to the average person wanting to get involved? I think a good starting point is to ask, your, ask yourself a question. Uh, what would it be like for a person who can't drive? can't afford a car, doesn't have someone to chauffeur him, family or friends to chauffeur him or her, to live where I live and shop for groceries. Um, now, there are some people who maybe for a physical reason couldn't do that from where they live, but most of us could once in a while. So my, my challenge basically is if you're a physically able person, get your groceries twice a month without using a car. Start finding out what it would be like how much you depend on cars and how much you're dependent on, how much our dependence on cars can make life tough for people who can't use them or don't want to use them for everything. You can't see it from the inside. You can't see it while you're sitting in an office or watching a video or inside a car. You can't see it. You have to get out there and do it. To me, that's a pretty good introduction to see what's at stake and also get a, get a grasp of uh, where people who can't drive have, have to live because there are a lot of places where we're not welcoming them. Right, right. I think that's a good, uh, good starting point to get a feel in your gut. Then beyond that, I think, uh, frankly, Chuck, I think you have put together the most compelling narrative 
about the problems of sprawl and uh, hyper-dependence on automobiles. And he put together the most compelling narrative for use in the public realm because you get down to dollars and cents. How has... And it's hard to argue with the financial. I mean, like your your your, your little cul-de-sac illustration there where the property <laughs> taxes don't even pay for repair of the street. Right. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> I ask myself, why didn't I see that anywhere else? Yeah. It's so obvious in retrospect, but that needs to be all over in the public conversation because uh, most places are not doing, again, here you have an example of not doing the basic math. You have to you have, you have to do the basic math and pay attention to the bottom line in your checkbook, and uh, it, it's so elemental. Let me ask you this: How has the stuff that we've done here at Strong Towns? Because you you've you have been uh, communing with me for a long time, and I have to say, you know, it's interesting. We both have the engineering background. I am a kind of I start with the dollars and cents. And I've become more um, attuned, let's say, to the the social justice arguments and, and some of the other arguments that that you've put forward. I become a more attuned to that through my 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 chats with you and my chats with other people who approach these things from a similar way. You came to the national gathering. You gave a great presentation. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed your presence and your contributions there. What is it about Strong Towns and about the people in the Strong Towns movement that you've met uh, that helps you with what you're doing and maybe helps clarify some of your your thinking when it comes to the advocacy that you do day in and day out? Wow. Uh, <laughs> first of all, you uh, the, the diversity of people are coming to this. People with, uh, coming from different backgrounds, uh, a lot of young, young people or youngish people. I'm 57. And I'm kind of used to hanging around with gray-haired people uh, in terms of political issues. And, and it's essential that I have younger people involved. So um, I like that. I mean, uh, just following your podcast, you're, you're, you, and are really, you and Jim are really getting uh, the message out there going to a lot of different cities. Uh, I mean, you're plugged into the, mayor, the former mayor of Seattle, the stuff you're doing in Memphis. So it's just so much, so many things going on with so many people from different perspectives that I think is really powerful. Yeah. Um, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I mean, I tell everybody who will listen about strong towns and, you know, listen to the podcast, plug into this, watch it. Um, I, I haven't, uh, for, for a long time there, what I would recommend to people is to watch the uh, narrated slide presentation from, uh, from CNU. From CNU yeah. In, yeah. In Salt Lake City. I mean, like, bam, there it is. Well, now you were in the room. I, I have to say, you know, I, I've done uh, the curbside chat presentation. Boy, we're we're coming up on close to two hundred times now over the last, uh-huh. you know, almost four years. And uh, there are some that stick out in my mind as being very memorable. Uh, when I was in Madison that night, that you were there, uh, we were not sure what the crowd was going to be. We were thinking maybe there'd be 20, 25 well, people. You've been to Madison twice, you know. One was in Madison, downtown Madison, and one was in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm talking about the one we did at the library. That that was the yeah, one in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that was the one in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. That, was a cold, that was a pretty cold night. You're right. I, I'm remembering that. Oh, yeah. Well, so yeah, the, the one in Madison, it was, you know, there's no big deal biking to that. The one in Pittsburgh is a little more work. So, so it was a cold night. And, yep. you know, we were not sure how many people were going to show up. We had a room that maybe fit 75 people. 
we were we were thinking maybe we'd get 20, 25, maybe 30 people. Uh, that place was packed and it was standing room only. They were bringing in chairs and having people sit on the floor, basically at my feet. And it, it was the that room was electric. I mean, people were into it and the conversation was fresh. That was one of the more memorable chats I've ever had. I, does, I don't know if you if you have some insight on that experience or not, but that one to me was uh, was pretty special. Well, Chuck, you know, I've gotten to know quite a few people in the Dane County region and some around the state. But when I looked around that room that, that night, it was like most of the people I really wanted to be there were there. Yeah. Included a lot of elected officials, um, a lot of transit advocates, pedestrian bicycle transit advocates I know. Uh, people are interested in smart growth. Um, uh, Steve and I really worked to get the word out, and so did other people. I yeah, mean, yeah. We're not the only ones. Uh, Steve Arnold is a, uh, the alder of Pittsburgh, but uh, you have uh, Strong Downs has fans in this area. Believe me. Well, we we really feel the love from Central Wisconsin and and and, uh, and Eastern Wisconsin in particular. And you know, I know we're planning some some trips back there next year. There's a lot of interest, a lot of people. Hans, um, I'm I'm working on I'm I'm trying to uh, prod the folks in Eau Claire to get you down there. You have fans there, and you're getting some across now. Yeah, that that'd be incredible. I love yeah. Wisconsin. Wisconsin is like in many ways. <laughs> I'll say this: I love Minnesota, but um, you know, in many ways, there are a lot of things about Wisconsin that I I find enchanting. Uh, it it takes some of the best parts of Minnesota and magnifies them. So yeah, it's a beautiful uh, state. I haven't found any reason why I want to move out. Let, I'd be happy to die here. Let me ask you one last question, Hans Neldner. That's not a Scandinavian name, is it? It's it's uh, the Neldner is German. Oh, it is. It's German, huh? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. My uh, uh some Germans. Uh, I, I I worked for Siemens for a while and went to Germany. Okay. And uh, in some parts of Germany, they will change the spelling uh, to an N O with an umlaut L T N E R. Okay. But actually, uh, I think our name comes from um, further east, and um, there they spell it the way it's, I spell it. Okay. Do you? Uh, I mean, how far how far back do you go before you you hit the German immigrants? Um. My paternal grandfather okay. was uh, was a was an immigrant. Okay. Paternal grandmother was uh, let's see, I, she was born in this country of German stock. The uh, the Maroon side is the German side, and actually more Prussian, uh, which is the like you said the eastern part of Germany. Yep. Um, and, and the Maroon side, and then the other side is is complete Norwegian. So we're getting into the uh, Christmas baking time of year, where we bring out the Norwegian and the German cookie recipes and, and start going to town on that. So you, you do any I, of that? No, I don't. My <laughs> wife does quite a bit of baking, but that's not something I do. Well, maybe I'll have to send you some. You're, you're I'm just blown away by what I've seen you post on Facebook. <laughs> uh, Hans Neldner. I'm, I'm amazed you're not a steer. Yeah. I, you know what? I would, I would actually love to, uh, to bake for a living. I think it would be so much fun. I get, I get so much joy out of doing it. And maybe I wouldn't if it were a job, but, uh, you know, for one month, for one month a year, I, I just bake and it's a blast. Well, Hey, you're one of my favorite people in strong towns. I, I, I love being around you. I love your energy. And I just wanted to say thank you for being a member. 
thanks for all that you do, and, and thanks for caring as much as you do. You bet. You keep warm. I'm honored to know you, Chuck. You, you are really gifted. You're a very gifted speaker. Uh, I appreciate that. You take care and stay warm, all right? All right. Take care, Hans. We need your support here at Strong Towns. Become a member today by going to strongtowns.org.